Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Uh, with that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into our talk today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Mike P., Jared W., Jackie A., and Brent S. We have on Steve Robertson, President and CEO of Sun Metals, a Canadian-focused explorer and developer advancing the Stardust Project in British Columbia. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol S-U-N-M, and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol S-M-T-T-F. Steve, thank you for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. So Sun Metals sort of kind of showed up uh, in on the TSXV in June 2018, if I remember. Uh, give the audience uh, your background and then tell us how you came in at Sun Metals and with the Oxygen Group. Okay, well, I'm an exploration geologist by background, so I've spent most of my uh, career working in British Columbia uh, in that field. I spent 24 years with a company called Imperial Metals. It's a, a producer here in British Columbia with a fairly extensive exploration portfolio. And I guess the big uh, claim to fame I have for my career with, with Imperial Metals was the deep drilling on the Red Chris deposit. So we purchased Red Chris. It was a, a small, uh, low-grade deposit that had been known for a long time. And through our exploration, we were actually able to prove that it was indeed a big world-class deposit. They've, I think, uh, got over 20 million ounces of gold and 16 billion pounds of copper defined there now and, and Newcrest has just come in to um, spend 1.1 billion to purchase 70 percent of that that project so that was a great experience for me I went on to do the corporate affairs role I was company spokesman worked a lot on permitting worked a lot on First Nation uh, community engagement and I did 11 different agreements with First Nations while I was in that role so I got a lot of great experience when I was with, at Imperial but I uh, was getting further away from exploration the more I moved up in seniority and and I wanted to get back to exploration which wasn't happening at Imperial and so I took advantage of the opportunity to join Marco Day and the group over at Oxygen Capital where they had uh, formed a private company to facilitate the option of a project that I knew well uh, Stardust and I knew about this project because uh, the world leading authority in this type of deposit is a fellow by the name of Dr. Peter McGough from Tucson Arizona and Peter and I are friends he told me about this project. He'd worked on it uh, previously and felt very strongly about the potential of the project. And so I thought, well, the opportunity to go and work with a great bunch of people with a tremendous track record on a great project was uh, simply too alluring. So I left Imperial after 24 years and uh, struck out on my own as the CEO of, of Sun Metals. And we went public actually in May of 2018, did the reverse takeover of a shell. And in our first uh, season of exploration, we've we've really hit it out of the park and had a, a tremendous experience just exploring here in British Columbia, tier one jurisdiction, and looking forward to getting out there for 2019. So Steve, I want to ask you just briefly about Imperial Metals. Uh, how do you think things were kind of going there towards the end? We've 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 been in kind of a a low in the resource market. Sentiment's been low. Prices have been low. Things have been quite tough and lean, as you can imagine. And with the exception of just that pop in 2016 that occurred for the first half of the year, what do you think was kind of going through the heads there 
when they when they finally were able to kind of resolve with Newcrest coming in, really, really kind of, for lack of better words, kind of save what was going on in Imperial. What, what's your thoughts on that? And it was management working pretty hard for, for quite a while, trying to find someone to maybe come in and help them out? Yeah, you know, it's a great company, uh, great people behind the company, and they've got some uh, really great assets there. But um, unfortunately, they had a balance sheet problem. They had too much debt. And, you know, I'm sure it was difficult for them to actually do the transaction with Newcrest and give away 70% of their, their baby. But uh, at the end of the day, that really is a positive move that's going to allow them to move forward. And, and uh, eventually, of course, what it's going to allow is for them to fully realize the potential of Red Chris. Uh, the open pit wasn't going to do it. I'm pretty sure that they're going to move ahead and develop a block cave mine on that deposit so that they can access some of that deeper mineralization that we found there. And, you know, that's the key is is being able to put the capital in that's going to allow them to develop that is is really going to be a game changer for the mine and for the company. So, Steve, what is it that really drives consistent success at the Oxygen Group? Can you kind of give us a look inside the group playbook as to how companies like Sun Metals fit into the game plan? I think it's a very disciplined approach. These guys uh, have had a number of successes over the years, and the themes that continue to come up, uh, two of them come, well, three of them come immediately to mind. Uh, first of all, data-rich projects. So the group as a whole goes out and looks for projects that have had a lot of work done on them in the past, and you know that certainly applies to Stardust. We get to de-risk the project through the efforts of others that way. And then the group can put a different lens on the exploration and build value more easily as we move forward. It's something that's worked over and over again. And, uh, and as long as it continues to work, I'm sure that's going to be the continuing trend within the group here. Second thing that Oxygen Group does is they have a great ability to, to attract good people with with a good track record of success. And so, uh, you know, a lot of this business is about people and it's uh, not as much about the asset. There's, it's pretty easy to take a great asset and and uh, do nothing with it or turn it into a disaster, but uh, it's good people that makes everything work. And so um, they've got a great track record of being able to attract good people to work on good projects. And then the third thing is uh, they really do view themselves as investors. This is a incubator environment. It's not uh, an environment where the private company is set up to prosper. It's actually the public companies that are set up to prosper. So everything's done at cost here. No management fee, no markups or anything like that. We get a, We have a bunch of shared resources within the office. And it really is an environment that allows junior companies to grow value for shareholders through exploration. Steve, would you prescribe to the uh, comments about grade is king uh, with resource projects, or would you really say that management is king first? Uh, well, I think that both are absolutely essential. You can't have uh, only one of those things without the other. You you need to have uh, projects that uh, obviously have great people involved in them uh, to be able to help realize the value that's hidden. But the other thing that is uh, becoming so uh, obvious to us in today's age is that grade is king. Uh, there have been a lot of low-grade, high capital cost mines put into production in recent years where the capital costs just bury the project. And without a, you know, a big spike in commodity prices, it's impossible for the company to dig out from that hole. And uh, so we're seeing a real flight to quality. Um, and that 
flight to quality is referring to not only tier one jurisdictions in the world where you actually wake up in the morning and know that you still own your deposit, but it's also talking about uh, grade and higher grade deposits are, are certainly becoming um, more and more prominent on the radar screen of the big mining companies. Right. And, you know, you just hope that the good management teams get to that that good project and you put both of those together because we know what can happen when you have a great project, but a, but a terrible management team that doesn't seem to work out too well. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, our, so our I, industry has got a history of uh, some of those train wrecks along the way. And uh, this group has had a great uh, success record of avoiding those. So I want to step back for just a moment, kind of look at uh, the, the gold price, uh, the gold, you know, kind of the markets there, kind of high level natural resources. Uh, where do you think we are with kind of the gold price and sentiment uh, towards gold equities at this point after kind of the quick pop that happened in the first half of 2016? Yeah, well, I, I tend to agree with most of the analysts that we see out there. And they, uh, I think in general, think that gold is going higher from here. Uh, and for a number of reasons, but a lot of it's got to do with where the U.S. dollar is going to go. And I think that there's, uh, uh, you know, a lot of belief that there are no currencies to go to at this point. Uh, um, you know, everybody would like to be able to turn to the euro. Everybody thought that was going to be the place that people could hide out uh, for safety reasons, but uh, that's proven not to be the case. Uh, a lot of people are thinking that the U.S. dollar is going to be showing weakness in coming years, uh, probably partly by choice of the Americans. Um, and there, there's just all sorts of reasons to believe that uh, the currency of choice in the future is going to be gold. And so um, I think that there is no better place to be than gold and in particular, copper-rich gold deposits. I mean, uh, copper is also, you know, I'm a huge bull on the copper market going forward. Um, as well as copper. So so I think that Stardust Project is perfect for Sun Metals. Absolutely. I, I think that uh, it's really just a win question for gold and kind of when that rolls over. And the challenge with the, you know, the U.S. dollar, of course, is it, it's one of the, you know, they, they have all got dirt on their face, but the U.S. dollar still seems to come through most, most of the time the cleanest. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, when the dollar does fall, what, what kind of how that reflects upon other currencies and, of course, the price of gold when that starts to happen. And so it's really interesting setup we have now. We have the Fed, you know, making a 180 degree turn on their policy. And so there's really a number of things that are happening. I think people just, investors get impatient sometimes, but I think it's really just a win question. Certainly not if outside of copper and gold, because I know those are the two places you're you're really liking, and I know Sun Metals aligns with those two metals, but what other metal do you like in the sector over the next few years that really has your attention? Well, behind copper on the base metal side, I would uh, say zinc has got a pretty bright future. The inventories are being have been going lower for quite some time there, and and somewhat uh, like copper. Copper is a much bigger market than zinc, but um, you know there's some similarities there in terms of uh, not only good consumption but also increasing pressure on the supply side. And uh, mines aren't easy to develop anymore. Big mines uh, in tier one jurisdictions are difficult to put into operation, so there's a huge lag time between discovery and operation and and, uh, you know, so you can get a supply crunch that's going to last not for six months, but for several years. And when you get a situation set up like that, you have, uh, of course, increasing commodity prices. So, yeah, I think that uh, behind copper, zinc would be my number one choice on the base metal side. 
Let's move to uh, Sun Metals. Uh, give us a company snapshot as to the management team, uh, some of the key people there, uh, the capital structure, and then also the key shareholders on the roster, what you're doing to uh, align yourself with shareholders at these current prices. I'll start. I think there's three categories of people in the company that we need to talk about. First of all, the founders and, and the board of the company, the Oxygen Group, Mark O'Day, Donald McGinnis, and Sean Tetzlaff are the three principals of Oxygen, and they're all investors in the, the company and on the board of directors, and uh, they've been able to attract Glenn Garrett to the board. He's one of the founders of Lorraine Copper, who was the original vendor of the property to Sun Metals. Now Rick Bales has joined the board. Uh, we're just having our AGM on Friday, and and Rick and myself will uh, hopefully be joining the board after the shareholder vote on at the AGM. And Rick is a guy that's been involved with oxygen in the past. He was a board member on uh, True Gold, which was a, a nice takeout in, I think it was 2016. Um, a geologist that's been around Vancouver for uh, many years and got a tremendous success record behind him. On the management side, in addition to myself, uh, the big addition in 2018 was Ian Neal. He's the VP of Exploration, a real key player on the in the group. Uh, he was the 2003 Bill Dennis Award winner for his role in the, the discovery of a uh, 50 million ton mass of sulfide deposit in the Northwest Territories for Wolfton in 2003. You know, Ian has, is a very solid guy. He's been uh, involved in uh, successor companies to Wolfton, ending up with MMG. And when they shut down their office in 2017, Ian thought that they, he was going to take a couple of years off to spend with his family, and I interrupted his plans and convinced him to come and join us here. And it's just been a tremendous add to our company because he, of course, brings along a cast of very solid characters with him, and and he's been able to uh, attract a sort of a star group to work on the project. The third category of people in the company is the technical advisory board, which is basically the dream team of geology. We've got uh, Peter McGaw. As I mentioned earlier, he's the world leading authority in carbonate replacement deposits. Uh, Jerry Ray, who is a world-recognized expert in SCARN deposits, and Jim Oliver. Uh, Jim uh, is another one of the, he's PhD in structural geology and got a tremendous uh, track record of exploration and success, mostly here in British Columbia, but an international uh, experience roster as well. So, so really, the the group as a whole, uh, we've got good experience from from top to bottom of the company, and uh, um, we set ourselves up well for success that way. And uh, can you give us a little bit on the capital structure and, and uh, maybe go into the shareholder roster? Yeah, capital structure, um, after the takeover of Lorraine, which we just completed a couple of weeks ago, uh, that was the company that was the original optioner of the property to us. When it came to getting close to the end of that option agreement, it was more. It was pretty obvious to us that it was more advantageous to both the shareholders of Lorraine and Sun Metals to uh, just take the company over, and so we've completed that, and that's resulted in us having about 118 million shares outstanding. Our fully diluted uh, will be about 165 million. 34 million shares are owned by insiders and founders of the company. Those are pooled and escrowed shares that uh, will be released over a three-year period. So we've got a pretty good uh, shareholder base with the you know inside group owning such a large portion of it. And in addition to that, most of the uh, investors that came in in our IPO were retail. So we had five institutionals come in at that point. 
but mostly in a small way. So it was largely retail and uh, retail in Canada right now, that means high net worth uh, folks that are sophisticated uh, investors in the mining sector. And so we've got some uh, you know, big names that have, uh, are highly experienced in this sector uh, behind the company and uh, really have a, a very solid shareholder base. Yeah, and I see I see Mark Mark consistently is is scooping up shares here and there at different opportune times, and it's good to see. Uh, also, I see Tech is also a part of the the roster as well, and so there's some good good stuff going on there as far as the uh, the ownership goes. Uh, how about uh, cash in the bank and expected cash spend in 2019? I know you got some upcoming drilling coming. Uh, what's your thoughts on cash in the bank, uh, upcoming spend, and then also uh, any known uh, future equity financings coming along for maybe some investors' potential? Well, we are fully cashed up for the 2019 season. You mentioned tech. They, of course, picked up the entire back end of a financing we did just before uh, Christmas. And uh, so they ended up with 12.5 million shares of the company. Um, that was a, a great deal for us because uh, we were able to do that through a charity flow-through financing structure, which allowed us to uh, get a great premium on the trading price for our financing. We were trading at 22 cents at the time. Tech bought the 12.5 million shares at 28 cents, so uh, we were able to negotiate a nice premium uh, to the market with that, but that allowed the front end of that financing to be set at 41.3 cents. So we did that financing at almost 100% premium to the market. That gave us 5.2 million in the treasury that we'll uh, be able to spend in the 2019 exploration season. So that's going to fully fund us um, for the 15,000 meters that we plan to drill at Stardust in 2019. And uh, we'll have to figure out, you know, depending on the results of the drilling program, what we're going to do as a next step. Two potential possibilities are that uh, if we like the way the drilling's going and we're continuing to have success, we may uh, refinance on the fly in the fall and uh, continue to explore through the winter. This pro project is in the interior and so we are capable to work 12 months out of the year up there. Uh, the other possibility is we might actually uh, stop exploration and decide that we want to drive a decline and go underground on this and in which case we would uh, stop and do the permitting for the decline and uh, refinance to facilitate that. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what comes out of this coming program before we make the final decision on exactly what the next move is, though. I want to move over to British Columbia. You know, some people have said uh, that, you know, BC has kind of become one of the worst jurisdictions in Canada for advancing projects. What's your thought on that? I've spent most of my career working in British Columbia, and I'll tell you, I'm very comfortable working here. Uh, this is definitely a tier one jurisdiction. You wake up in the morning every day knowing that you own your deposit, and that's something that you can't say in a lot of places in the world these days. And uh, that alone puts uh, British Columbia in a tier one category for me. But uh, in addition to that, the problem that a lot of people have with working in British Columbia is the complication of First Nations. And, you know, First Nations, uh, in my mind, is actually an advantage of uh, working in this jurisdiction for, uh, I'll call them enlightened companies that understand how to work with First Nations. Uh, our chairman, Donald McGinnis, he did 15 deals with First Nations when he was running Plutonic Power here in British Columbia. Uh, I did 11 deals with First Nations when I was working with Imperial Metals here in British Columbia. And when you can actually 
build a relationship with the local community and make them a part of your project. Make it so that when you go to the permitting table, they're sitting shoulder to shoulder with you, um, asking for the permits from the government or demanding the permits from the government. That really puts you at an advantage over other companies. And I think that's where we sit right now. Uh, we've got a, a relatively uh, fresh relationship with the Takla First Nation, whose core territory we're, we're in. Um, you know, we're continuing to work on that relationship and build it. But thus far, they are stakeholders in the company. So we have a good alignment of interest with the community. They were a big help to us in our 2018 program. They did all of our earthworks, um, lumber supply, that sort of thing. Uh, we're working hard to make sure that we increase the level of employment that we have from the local community in um, the exploration work we're going to do in 2019. So it's not a box that you check in BC. It's uh, so part of your everyday life, uh, you know, making sure that you are building a relationship with the local community and using that to your advantage. So I would say that uh, there's no better place to work anywhere in the world than British Columbia. I think that we, between the geologic endowment that we have here and the political stability, this is a, a great place to be. So I want to talk Stardust for a moment. Uh, give the audience an overview of the project status, uh, what the expectations are uh, on the upside for the deposits uh, before uh, you know the company starts to move towards uh, advancing the project, and then uh, kind of give us the next steps that you're seeing uh, for the project, both for 2019 and also 2020. Sure. Well, Stardust, as I mentioned earlier, is a historic project. The discovery goes back to 1944. So over the, year, the years, there has been $28 million worth of historic exploration work put onto the, into this project. Um, that's resulted in 87,000 meters of drilling, 427 drill holes, and there's been a 2.2 kilometer long corridor of mineralization that has been identified over that time. So this is uh, clearly a big system already before we even get started doing our exploration. Um, what's unique now is that we've taken all of the data that had been uh, gathered historically and we've put it into an electronic database. So this is our leg up that we've got over any of the historic work that was done. We can now model things in three dimensions and we can use all the tools like geophysics and geochemistry uh, to our better advantage in terms of understanding where we're at in the system and how to explore it. And I think that the proof is in our 2018 exploration results when we hit hole 421, which returned 100 meters of 5% copper equivalent. So that was a, a tremendous mineralized intercept that was head and shoulders uh, stronger than anything that had ever been seen on the property previously. There is an existing resource on the property um, and the average thickness within that resource is about 4.3 meters, which is fairly respectable, but uh, now we've drilled across a fault into a new area that's never been explored before, and we hit 100 meters at 5% copper equivalent. Clearly, we're into something that is different and much better. Uh, the whole theory of our 2018 exploration campaign was to explore to see if we could find fluid feeder pathways with theory that if we could find one of those, we would be into thicker, stronger, more robust mineralization, and that's exactly what we found. So. Everything's working out well so far. Uh, in 2019, we're going to go out and drill the area around hole 421 and see if we can build some tonnage in this new area. And, um, you know, depending on the result, as I mentioned earlier, we, we may 
uh, decide to just continue to explore in 2019 and drill around the uh, calendar, we can actually drill through the winter in this area. So it would we'd have to refinance to do that on the fly. But I think that's uh, you know, if we get the results that we're looking for, I think that's something that will happen uh, relatively easily. And uh, of course, the other option is we might want to actually run a decline down to get into the area of this deeper mineralization and explore it from underground. Um, so you will have to see what the results from our 2019 drill program looks like before we make the decision how we're going to go there. That sounds good. So Steve, give the audience some perspective just a little bit as to the advantages and disadvantages of Stardust and what is the what aspect of the project folks really should look hard at at this point? Well, again, it's that theme of flight to quality. Um, it's very, very rare to find a project that's got these sorts of high grade um, over big thicknesses like that. So a uh, hundred meter intercept of 5% copper equivalent is not very common to find. I would argue that it was probably one of the best drill holes that was drilled in Canada in 2018. And even looking worldwide, it's hard to find something that would um, that would beat that sort of intercept. So um, as long as we continue to hit the thicknesses and the rich mineralization that we hit in that one hole in 2018 uh, going forward, I think that this is going to be one of the most exciting exploration projects anywhere globally in, in 2019. Well, is there anything you can pick apart on the project, Steve? Is there anything that that, that is a caution uh, internally there for the folks? Is there anything that's a concern for you guys at this point, or is everything looking quite good? Look, if you were going to try to pick a spot to put the ideal mining project in British Columbia, it would be exactly where Stardust is at. We're 120 kilometers northwest of the Mount Milligan mine, 200 kilometers south of, of uh, Chemes mine. So we're in a richly endowed area. Uh, we're far enough away from civilization that we're not going to get the NIMBY effect, but we're close enough to civilization that we've got all the advantages of infrastructure. There's no helicopter uh, budget needed for this project. You can drive a Cadillac onto the property, so we got good road access. There's rail 38 kilometers to the west. There's power in the area. Uh, we've got a relatively local workforce that we can draw upon. We're in the interior, so we don't have any steep precipitous terrain. We've got uh, low rolling topography. Uh, we've got interior climactic conditions, so you don't get the 40 or 50 feet of snow in the wintertime that you hear about in some of the other parts of the province. We get four or five feet of snow in the winter. So. Um, this really is a project that seems to have everything going for it. And uh, yeah, I could be happier to, to have a project than Stardust. So the project has historic, you know, quite a bit of history with it. Uh, you know, one of the things you guys, I'm sure you have is quite a bit of data. Can you, can you kind of give us just a, an overview of that? And, and uh, maybe after reviewing the data that you guys, I'm sure, poured over uh, quite a bit at this point, what, what kind of new things are, are really being employed that uh, you guys are seeing with the project that maybe uh, folks in the past, uh, besides technology, of course, uh, did not see? You know, carbonate replacement systems are very difficult projects to explore. Um, so you need to make sure that you use everything to your advantage you can if you're going to explore this type of system. And so taking all the data, put it into a database, seemed like a common sense first step for us. And we spent about four months in the winter of 2017-2018 uh, getting most of the data into a database. And actually, we've continued that effort over this last uh, this last winter, we've probably spent another two months with our team 
uh, pouring over the details of uh, some of that historically recorded data and making sure that it was properly represented in the database so that we have great confidence with the uh, information in the electronic database going forward. Now that we've got it in that form, being able to do the three-dimensional visualization in a mind modeling software package has been a huge help to us. I don't think that it would have been obvious to drill hole 421 that we drilled in for uh, 2018 um, by doing it off of paper copy. That's the sort of thing that uh, only comes out of the, the targeting using all of the tools at the same time. You can turn on and, and off the geochemistry, the metal ratios, the grade shells, uh, geophysics, all of this information that's in this three-dimensional mind modeling software. Um, it takes all of those tools to be able to target these drill holes uh, the way we have. And so I think that that was our advantage, was using modern technology um, where it hadn't been employed previously, even though there was some great geologists that had worked on the project previously and were able to uh, take advantage of it. So what about community around Stardust and uh, Sun's social work? What are you guys doing on this front? Well, that's, uh, as I said, it's something that we work on every day and working with the local community, building relationships, um, and that is working from both a, uh, you know, a commercial perspective, making sure that we have uh, opportunities for local First Nation businesses to participate in the project, but also on a social perspective. Um, you know, I'm, we're going to be sponsoring the local fishing derby this coming year, and I'll be going up and, and uh, sitting in a boat with some of the local folks to, to uh, get to know them a little bit and hopefully getting them to know me a little bit. Um, it's important that they uh, know and trust the people that are working in their community. And so this is really the mentality that we bring and try to inspire our team with. Uh, working with the local community is very important and we have to take that part of the job very seriously. I always have in the other projects that I've worked on and it's really, you know, at the end of the day worked out to our benefit. So um, I think this is an approach that more companies are going to have to uh, start to become aware of and become comfortable with, but we certainly are early adopters of this sort of mentality in terms of working with local communities. So outside of Stardust, is Sun looking at other projects and opportunities, or is the focus really entirely with Stardust to prove that up? Right now, our focus is uh, certainly on Stardust. We don't ignore other opportunities. If another opportunity came along that was um, obviously going to add value for shareholders, we would certainly take that seriously. But uh, uh, at this time, it's, it, you know, you're given a fixed bucket full of money and you can only spend that um, money. You have to choose the best way to spend it. And I can't imagine wanting to spend an exploration dollar on another project ahead of Stardust at this point. So acquiring other projects to get into the portfolio just means that we would have things sitting on the shelf. Uh, adds a little bit of potential for the future to the company, but uh, right now we're certainly going to remain focused entirely on, on Stardust. Steve, so you've got four names in the oxygen portfolio, Sun Metals, Liberty Gold, Pure Gold, and Discovery Metals. Which one disappears first? <laughs> well, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know as that I'm the appropriate one to answer that question. But I think that we're uh, each one of those teams has a very talented group leading it, and uh, I think it's going to be good fun uh, 
competing with our sister companies to see uh, who can outperform the others. And uh, I think we all have a great shot at uh, at being something that's going to be recognized by the market as as uh, as great takeover candidates. So um, it's good fun to be in that competition. So, Steve, on on that topic, also when we when we talked to Cal at uh, Liberty, what's what's the uh, are you guys as far as your your shareholding ownership? Obviously, there's 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 shares hold, held in the company that you run, but uh, do you also look at the other oxygen uh, companies as far as shareholding for yourself personally? Yeah, I do have uh, the other companies in my PA. Um, you know, that's uh, uh, I think the nature of the people that are involved in these sorts of things were investors and uh, when you see good value in the market like we have right now it's hard not to to uh, fix a little bit of the uh, oxygen group companies up and have them in your portfolio uh, this is really a tremendous opportunity as far as i'm concerned we've been in a bear market for how long is it now seven years and uh, there it seems like we're poised to have the markets turn around and more value start to flow back into the mining sectors uh, but at this point in time there are a lot of things that are undervalued out there so great opportunity to try to add those to your personal account so why should investors uh, potential investors be taking a look at sun metals today what would you say to potential investors i think that if you believe in the mining sector at all uh, I, I can't imagine a more exciting place to have your investment for 2019 this is uh as I said, uh, an opportunity to participate as we explore in the area of Hole 421, which was one of the best results in the world in, in 2018. And to be able to uh, uh, watch the story unfold, I think, is going to be very exciting for our investors. And uh, uh, it's, it's certainly a uh, you know, great opportunity for for me to be involved in it, uh, having a front row seat in it all, but uh, the investors are going to certainly be uh, equal participants as we move along. So, Steve, how can investors reach out to the company for more information? Well, the first place is through our website, uh, sunmetals.ca. We've got some great things on there, uh, including some videos of Dr. Peter McGaw uh, taking a look at the core and hole 421 and giving his impressions of what he thinks of the system based on his observations in that drill hole. And uh, anybody that wants to phone the company can phone me directly at uh, 604-697-4952. And uh, I spend a good part of my day speaking to investors and analysts. And, uh, you know, there's nothing better than talking about a story that's as exciting as this one. Well, Steve, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking some time with us today. All right. Thank you.